When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. All right. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. Today, I have my boy, Daryl M. on the show. Welcome, Daryl. How's it going? It's going good, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, bro. I appreciate you driving out this way. It's far, right? Yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah, this is west. So a lot of times, like, people aren't used to driving, like, to Weston or Davie. Yeah. There's really no need to go here. There's nothing here (laughs) that isn't over there, you know? Yeah. So where are you from, bro? Philadelphia, man. Born Mm -hmm. and raised. I did like a 10-year stint in Atlanta, went back to Philadelphia, and now I'm here. So you're born and raised in Philly. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. What was uh, growing up like for you? Growing up in Philadelphia, man. It's very cutthroat. What part of Philly? I'm from (laughs) North Philly, like the west part of North Philly. So it's like it's split up into two parts. Like Kensington would be like Mm -hmm. the east side of North Philly. The train station for my neighborhood is North Philadelphia Station. Gotcha. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a unique environment, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I read? I read this book, uh, I think it's Kareem Rosser, mm-hmm. and he's uh, he's from Philly, and he was talking about how he has, like, horses and stuff. You guys have... Yeah. You guys are like, yeah. you guys have like cowboys, right? Yeah. That's so crazy. They're black cowboys. Black I'm cowboys. Yeah, yeah, black cowboys That's a real thing? Oh, yeah, wow, that's, that's cool. more like 29th Street out 29th uh-huh. and maybe Cecil B. Moore, like Burke's areas, yeah. kind of close to the Philadelphia Zoo. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, a lot of those guys are out there. <laughs> so um, what's your story, man? When did you uh, start using everything like that? I think the first time I ever used something, it, it was weed. Mm-hmm. Um probably around like 1991, maybe. Mm-hmm. I seen what it was producing, the effect it had on them at the playground. You know, they smoking, laughing, joking. And I'm like, oh, that's a cool kid. So I walk up, I take a puff, and my heart just, uh-huh. uh, and I was like, you know, I'm having a heart attack. And I ran to my boy's house and, you know, his mom came, what's going on with you? And it was like a recovery town. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad and his wife, you know, my stepmom, you know, they were all in recovery. Your dad and your stepmom were both in recovery? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. My father, um, if he was still living, he would have probably around like 34 years. Oh, that's crazy. And my stepmom, who I have like a really close relationship mm-hmm. with now, on November 15th, she'll have 34 years. That's crazy. Yeah. So we like grew up in this town and, you know, they rushed me to the ER and I get in the ER. Mm-hmm. I'm like, my, I'm having a heart attack. The and first time you smoke weed went to the ER. Oh, that's yeah, crazy. ER. That's crazy. They were like, oh, man. I'm like, it is spazzing out. I'm having a heart attack. I can hear it in my ear and I'm going to die this, that, and the mm-hmm. third. And, you know, the doctor just whispered to my dad, like, your son's high, man. Hmm. <laughs> it was like, I didn't know. He made me go to, like, some meetings and stuff like that. It wasn't speaking my language at, you know, 13. I'm yeah. like, whatever. The interesting part for me and that experience was is that I couldn't wait to do it again. And that started my journey into like everything else. And then kind of like where the progression go from? Did you start doing harder drugs like after high school? Well, I didn't graduate because I sold crack. You know, that How did you start doing that? I had a cousin who was in recovery. Mm-hmm. And serving? Did- yeah, he yeah. was like in recovery, like moving work. You know, my dad had ended up dying, you know, in April of 95. So I kind of like went back to my biological mom's house mm-hmm. and I wasn't really feeling it. You know what I mean? Because she had like structure. It was like, nah, I ain't trying to be here. So I just ran back to Williamsport from Philadelphia. And my cousin was like, I'll take care of you, whatever. And he, you know, 
he like introduced me. He like would take me around and then like probably like six months into him hanging with me every day. It's just mm-hmm. like, bro, like, you know what I mean? And he gave me a pat. You know, rap music started to make sense a little more mm-hmm. than like what they were talking about. Because I really never understood anything like that. Yeah. You know, selling drugs. Um, My grandma sold drugs for like my whole life. Mm-hmm. So I really, you know, I was around it, but I didn't have to indulge. When I got, you know, around 15, 16, you know, my cousin introduced me to that. I had this goal. I was going to get a million dollars of tax-free money. In 1996, That that's a big dream to have, yeah. you know. <laughs> it was like, let me get a million dollars, man. So that was your goal is just to, like, sell as much crack as you could to get a million dollars and stop? I, I didn't know. I just, yeah, that was you know, just the goal? That was just the goal. Mm-hmm. And I was a parent at that time, too. You had a kid at 16? Yeah, I had a kid. My first son was You got to back up because this is like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, have a, I had a son. My oldest son, his name's Messiah. Mm-hmm. And he was just here at my house, wow. him and his wife and my granddaughter. He was born. I was 15. So I was like a parent. I didn't know anything. My dad had died maybe four months before he was born. Hmm. So, you know, he wasn't around to tell me how to be a dad. You know, I would just be out doing whatever. And I would stop in every now and then. But I was very, very immature, man. Mm-hmm. You know, very immature. You know, I would just be out in the street and it would just be more and more and more. I think that's where my addiction started at. It wasn't even the pursuit of money because I even got lost in that. It was about, like, showing up in a club. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? With my chain or with my boys. And, like, I had to develop, like, a survival type of instinct. You know, um, and that's when things started to change for me. It stopped being fun. You know, the first year or so it was fun. It's like recovery. Mm-hmm. And the first year, it's like super fun. Everybody's yeah. super nice and everything's super good. And I'm at the halfway killing it. And I'm like getting new jobs and I'm getting like money in my bank account. And I'm like all these first evers. Mm-hmm. And then like year two hit and you're just kind of, it's all about character. And you're like, oh. What do you mean? I have to work now. Mm-hmm. Like now it's about work. And it's like, oh, so that's kind of like what it was. It was like first year, it was all fun. And, you know, nobody's holding me accountable for anything. And, you know, I'm just drinking and smoking and partying and getting hotel rooms with girls who mm-hmm. think I'm cute because I'm not going to school and I'm doing that whole bad boy meeting people after school type thing. You know what I mean? And all that kind of like faded away. And I was like really in the streets. You know what I mean? It it gets really cutthroat at that point. Like I didn't really care. I just did it because I thought it was fun. It was like cool. And I was introduced to it. It was like easy. You know, but once that stuff starts happening, man, and you start getting into it with people and they want to rob you and you see people getting shot and all those things that come with that lifestyle, and then, like, what happened after that? What happened after that? I, I just went on for years doing that. Like, in and out of the streets and selling drugs? Yeah, not even in and out. Just in. Just, okay. <laughs> just in, like, full in. and um. To some people, that's, like, their only other option that they see. Like, mm-hmm. they don't see people going to college. Like, they don't see people amassing any type of success other than selling drugs. Mm-hmm. So it's like they look at their family that, like, is miserable working a shitty nine-to-five, or they look at their cousin with a dope-ass ride not going to work and having money. It's also circumstantial. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are your circumstances like? Like, I need to get this bread right now. I didn't really have an understanding of, like, tearing up my community, mm-hmm. you know, like, selling crack to people was harming them because, like, I was in love with, like, like where I come from, that's so normal. That's just, like, life. Mm-hmm. You know, people smoke crack until they die. You know, there's a lot of popular conversations now mm-hmm. or, or trending, you know, especially in the black community that people are getting a little more conscious of like help that's available, mm-hmm. you know, um, seeing therapists and having like mental health issues and just being a little more transparent and authentic where like, you know, we're just not following the pack anymore. At a certain point, man, like when you sell crack at 16 man, you get to 21, I think around 19, 20 years old, I got shot. Mm hmm. And I almost died. I got shot five times. How did what? How did this happen? <laughs> yeah, I was standing outside my grandma's house, man. This little dude, about five foot two, man. You know, it's the always t- little guys. Yeah, he came up. You know, my grandma's house was a trap house. You know, but we all lived there. And anyway, I come outside with my man, and like he going down to the Chinese store at the corner to get some Dutches. We gonna go back up, play Madden, and smoke 
or whatever. We had, I had them been on like 10 Zannies that day. Mm-hmm. This dude comes up and like you could see like his shadow, like through the snow, it was like a blizzard. He comes up and when he's coming, I didn't, until he got here on me, I was like, whatever, until he got here and I saw a gun in his hand and I was like, I bitched up. Like, bro, like I said, <laughs> yo, I said to him in statement, I said, man, listen, I have a car right here full of stuff, uh-huh. right? Just don't shoot me. I'll give you everything. I got about $500 in my pocket and I got weed and coke in the car in the trunk. Don't shoot me. The nigga shot me. Like, wow. he didn't say anything. Like, right after He wasn't I said, even trying to rob you? I don't know. He was, just ran up and shot you? Yeah. Like, he he let me make that statement to him. I said, bro, like, I got everything right here in the trunk. So, wow. Just don't shoot me. And when I finished saying that. shot you five times? Yeah. With a nine millimeter? With a nine Glock. Maybe about a year ago, I just got the two bullets taken out of my shoulder because they had to work their way out. Mm-hmm. And they were actually called, these bullets called cop killers. They're like exploding Hollow bullets. Points. Yeah. yeah. So they kind of like had a cauliflower shape. Yeah. And, and the nurse is like, do you see the shape of that? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, that's a cauliflower shape. That means only one thing. And I'm like, what? She was like, these bullets exploded on contact. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't even have a limb that you have right now mm-hmm. because it hit it twice. But no, he shot me five times at like a point blank range. And thank God they don't have like shooting ranges in the hood. Yeah, yeah, niggas can't shoot. They just like, oh my god, you know what I mean? Because he was he was supposed to he was supposed to check me. Like I was supposed to be flatline. Like, is there? Did you find out why? Was it like some street shit? It's just like some random thing. You never really figured it out. Nah, it's just everyday life. You know what I mean? It's like yo, you get shot, you patch it up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And you keep it moving. You know, it's just the way it is. You know, when you got shot five times, did that change or alter your life? No. Maybe, like, subconsciously? No. You don't think there was, like, a lot of trauma from it? Fourth of July was pretty painful for me. Wow. Snowy nights were kind of, like, be walking down the street, and it starts snowing, and it's, mm-hmm. like, dark, and I'm, like, freaking out. Like, man, I gotta get in the fucking house. You know what I mean? Um, and you kept selling drugs after that. Like, nothing happened. Yeah, I did. Because did you get, like, a lot of street cred for after that, or not really? <laughs> Where I'm from, like, niggas get shot every day. It's just kind of like <laughs> how, how my man, yeah, it's like how my man say, you know what I mean? It's like, that's a true, yo, that was one of the truest statements. I think that's why it's like such a popular statement in and that movie. Full, yeah, because that's just part of it. Yeah, niggas get shot every day, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like how mm-hmm. it is. And it's like, you know, people who were personal to me, you know, it's like, no, I was fighting for I my life. I guess it's like my culture growing up, like people overdose every day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> overdose. people overdose every day. And I mean, even in yeah. Philadelphia, right? Uh-huh. With that, you know, people been doing that in my neighborhood. You know, my daddy was a heroin addict. He grew up, like, he grew up in the era where, like, sniffing heroin with, like, dress shoes. It was cool, and, yeah. yeah. Where, like, a court. pimp would come out yeah. with, like, some fucking girl. <laughs> And he'd be like, yo, I got some boy. Yeah, they'd be like sniffing heroin all cool and shit, playing yeah. fucking baseball or whatever they did. Yeah, so I, you know, I come up around like a lot of like different drugs. Crack was prevalent in my area, but there was like everything. Mm-hmm. There was Annie's and syrup, which I was like part of. There was crack. I sold a lot of crack. I never used it. I sniffed cocaine. Mm-hmm. I was like one of the nose boys. That was that was my deal. And there was like heroin. And I, and I kind of stayed away from that. I, I caught a mental block from that from my daddy. Okay. So you, you know? knew like maybe I shouldn't fuck with this. I knew I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. First of all, I don't want to stick it in my you know vein. And then my dad, he died from AIDS. So he contracted HIV, you know, in the late 80s. You know, mm-hmm. maybe mid-80s, and he just lived for it. He had it before Magic Johnson had it. Hmm. So nobody really gave a shit. It was still around, like, even Freddie Mercury had died. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like we're trying to figure this out. You know, enough people hadn't whatever. It was still, like, phenomena, kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, so when he got sick, I mean, I remember they were just kind of like, drink some inshore and wash mm-hmm. your dishes with bleach, dog, and, like, count the seconds. I think seeing him, like, just wither away you know his life the last couple years with him kind of put a mental block with me because there have been some moments where like i was like where i'm gonna get the next one from yeah Yeah. and the dude's like hey i got this and i'm like i'll just (laughs) just be geeked for the rest Uh of the night i ain't fucking with that you know um it that did but like yo getting shot was like this weird like sense of like Mm tupacness like Invincibility. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm out here. But it was also, like... <laughs> not a big deal. Yeah. It was not a big deal in my environment. But to my family, you know, it was also the, like, you lucky. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like God's with you. You know, I had an aunt that told me that. Like God ain't through with you yet. You know, so when she said that, it was like, okay, I'll go to church or whatever. And mm-hmm. when I started like using like Coke real heavy, like that, I would kind of like start looking for answers and I would end up in churches and masjids praying with like the Muslims and like wow. going to church and like, you know what I mean? Talk. Like high or like after? I've or- been I've been to the masjid high. But you would go high or you would be so bad on coke, like overall, just like in your most addiction times, that yeah. you would just be down and out and then start seeing yeah. it. Yeah, most times. Like yeah. that's what that's what happened. Um, My mom used to take me to church whenever she found me high. <laughs> I remember it'd be like early in the morning and she'd be like, Brian, like I got food right now. I'm like, oh, I'm not yeah. hungry. I'd have like lockjaw like crazy. Yeah. And she'd be like, open the door. She could hear it. And I remember she would take one look at me and she'd be like, I'm taking you to church. To be honest with you, I went willingly. The only thing I knew about recovery was that people have these God things. Mm-hmm. Like I would watch like documentaries on TV and it'd be like some famous rock star. And, be like, oh, and then I found yeah. Jesus, you know? And I remember going to church and being like, nah, fuck this. But like there'd be like one little part of me that's like, oh, maybe something will happen to me yeah. here, you know? For me, it always seemed like the preacher or the imam was talking directly to me. Mm-hmm. It was like, you picked the right day to come here because yeah. I have this sermon yeah, up me right too. You, me right? too. Whenever I would go to church, my mom would be looking at me and she'd be like, see? <laughs> it always felt And they'd be like talking that. about like drugs and whatever, or <laughs> someone's here broken or whatever. Yeah. And my mom would be like, that's you. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. I would always think, like, I would always go. And like, I wasn't willing to try recovery, even though my dad, you know, had been a recovering person. And I had an uncle, Michael, who actually gave me my first basic tax. Your uncle? Yeah, I was just sitting on the corner, and he had one. Wow. He rolled up on me. You know, it was his first one. He had got clean when it was like there wasn't even area codes. And he get, mm-hmm. I still have it now to this day. With the, all the phone numbers in there with just like seven numbers. Just seven digits. <laughs> it's like, yeah. There's no emails. Yeah. There's no, you know what I mean? There's just addresses and seven-digit numbers in it. He gave that to me and told me I was going to need it. Mm-hmm. You know. You got to tell me when you're using went from like coke and syrup and serving to like hard because your drug of choice was coke right yeah i like to sniff coke so like when did it become like you know a full-time job like just to do like when did it become addiction you know what i mean around like 2000 so after i got shot you know they were giving me crazy percocets Mm -hmm. they had stopped and um i hate when they do that yeah they stopped and and i started you know drinking sandies and syrup again and said you got to do something with your life right Mm -hmm. so i go to this i go to this class i'm an endangered youth you know so they send me to this thing and you have to get a trade and i go get a trade and and it's a hospitality training Mm -hmm. right so i go to this hospitality training and i do everything for weeks and the marriott comes in and they're like hey we need two people to hire now the dude's like, man, this dude, like, he's, like, pretty good. So, like, take him. And he took me. And when I got that job, the supervisor there, she liked me. Mm-hmm. She liked cocaine. Uh-huh. And, and I was still, like, doing street shit. So I was, like, at this point, I'm, like, selling coke. After we did all that, she went to sniffing it again. And I'm just kind of like, why? Like, and I had a lot of cousins that was sniffing it. And it was kind of like this, like, ominous thing that was happening around me where it's just like sniff it sniff it Mm -hmm. sniff it but it was just like coming through people and it came through her and like you know god uses people and so does the lower power Mm -hmm. you know and the lower power knows what i like i love women Mm -hmm. you know that's my soft spot and it was just kind of like i'm gonna use this woman and you know i just asked her super bowl sunday the giants had played the baltimore ravens Baltimore Ravens had won their first Super Bowl. I was asking her, like, yo, like, why are you so, like, you know what I mean? And she was like, oh, it's just a feeling that, like, you would never feel before. And she said, listen, this first feeling you have, you're going to chase that for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. is what she told me. She was 10 years older than me. I was 20 at the time. She was 30. So, man, give me that shit. Anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I seen my daddy fall. Yeah. Like, I ain't never going to be me. And I took a sniff of that shit, man. And, um... She took two Ambien and went to sleep before I knew it. It was light time. Mm. You know what I mean? Before I knew it was light time. And, like, the ounce of, like, Coke I was buying to sell at work and all these places that I would go with it mm-hmm. turned into a half ounce. You know what I mean? And it turned into a quarter. And mm-hmm. it turned into, like, yo, let me get this pack and, like, yeah. I'll pay you back and, like, hide out for, like, two weeks because I don't got the money. 
Yeah, I remember when uh, my drug dealer started doing it. I remember I had this one Spanish drug dealer, and uh, he never did it, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember this one time, um, he called me. He's like, yo, he's like, yo, this shit right here, dog. You got to come try this shit. <laughs> and I could tell he was like, okay, he's like, yo, you got to come try this shit. You got to come try this shit. And I went because I thought it was like some super fucking crazy coke. Mm-hmm. And he like, I remember I only wanted like a little bit. And he's like, no, nah, you got to get a lot. This shit's crazy right now. And I did it. I was like, well, it's like the same in my mind. I was like, this is the same shit we always do. Like, it wasn't like that much better. Right. It was good, but it wasn't like that crazy. I had heard that he had like snorted like a whole ounce over the weekend and like ended up like in the ER. Since then, like he never sold drugs ever again. Like this dude used to sell drugs all the time. He just became like a straight up cokehead. Wow. And it's like, it's crazy to see somebody. Because when you're a drug dealer, in my opinion, like he was very like, he looked down at us. Uh-huh. You know, like, uh, like what you want, da, 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 like kind of like mean or whatever, you know? Yeah. And uh, when he started using, it was like you would just run into him and he would just be like one of us just. So I, w- I was raised different. Hustle. Like my grandma always raised me to be for the underdog, mm-hmm. which now in recovery gets me in a lot of trouble. But I really never approach people with judgment. Like in my neighborhood, there's no room for judgment, man. Like we just in the mix of like that jungle, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Everybody's doing whatever they do. Is that what you do? That's your thing. That's what you do. A teen solo hiker who was terrorized for days by unknown figures dressed in white. Two cops who quit their job at a local theater because of an unexplained encounters with an alleged demon. An isolated forest in Canada where people keep turning up headless. These are just some of the strange, dark, and mysterious stories you'll hear each week on the Mr. Ballin podcast. In each episode, Mr. Ballin shares real-life haunting accounts like the case of Haley Zega, who disappeared from a hiking trail for 51 hours. When search and rescuers finally found her and asked how she survived, she simply said a friend helped her. She described this friend, four years old, black hair, and brown eyes. This friend was initially dismissed until they realized a girl had gone missing in that exact spot 23 years earlier and was never found. She was four years old, had black hair and brown eyes. Hey, Prime members, listen to the Amazon Music exclusive podcast, Mr. Ballin' Podcast, Strange and Dark Mysterious Stories, in the Amazon Music app. Download the app today. My transition into recovery was like so easy when it actually came. I have been blessed to just keep my life in the street because I, I still had like a degree of respect for people. Because like I said, my daddy was out in the street and a lot of his friends had fell and became like, kids would be growing up and be treating them like, oh, these niggas is like these junky ass niggas, you know what I mean? But I knew them before they were that. Yeah, so you could see like the before and after, yeah. Yeah, so it would always be like, oh, that's Uncle Day Day to me, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Or whatever the case may be, that's how, you know, I was raised. So it's like when I started doing my own thing, you know, whatever a person did, that's what they did. Cool. So when I actually fell and was like really addicted, you know, people would just be like, man, get your shit together. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Nobody really like, I didn't really get treated like one time. And that's what actually made me seek recovery. Mm. The first time it happened, it made me seek recovery. I had took some TVs from my cousin's house and um, I had them in the shopping cart and I probably walked like 10 miles with him to like get rid of them at mm-hmm. this particular spot in Kensington from my area. That's like Reckon for a Dream, if you've seen that. Yeah. yeah. It was bad. So I go, <laughs> I go, I go over, you know, to this dude and I'm telling him like, I need $300 for this TV. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I need five twenties, a hundred in cash. You know what I mean? Or, or I told him I need 10 twenties, a hundred in cash. And mm-hmm. I wanted two packs of cigarettes. And he's like, oh, I got you, Baba. You know what I mean? Then he starts screaming, like, Ando, 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 Bando, whatever. They screaming, what the fuck is going on? You know what I mean? I'm geek, nervous. But he said, oh, pop, 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 take this real quick. You know what I mean? Police coming. And I'm like, okay. So he cart TVs out into the alleyway. And I'm like, oh, where you going? Like, give me the rest of shit. Mm-hmm. But he already got the goods now. So he just kind of like, we got that. What you going to do? Mm-hmm. It's 3 in the morning. I'm in a trap. You know what I mean? I'm I'm and I'm broken as a human being. Like, I'm a shell of a man. Mm-hmm. Like, all I want to do is get high. I don't want to fight. You know, I don't want to argue. I don't want to fuss. I don't want to prove my manhood. 
I don't care if you disrespect me. Just mm-hmm. give me what you're going to give me, man. But just give me what I'm asking for, please. Mm-hmm. No, nah, dog, like, like you got what you got. Yeah. yeah, get the fuck out of here. You know, I feel like I was at the lowest point. I'm just going to go on my way. And I went walking back home, and it was snowing, big snow, man. And, and I remember all the snow was falling in the bag. I couldn't get high, bro. I couldn't get high. It was so bad. And I just thought to myself, like, this is what my life has become, walking in the snow, man. And, and, and my grandma, she had moved, and my cousin had bought her house, you know what I mean? And it was like, you know, that house had been there for years. And it's like, I, I went in there and I did that, you know. And, and this is unprecedented stuff. It was just bad. Like, I did all that to not even get what I wanted, to mm. get three twenties of cocaine and for the snow to fall in them. Yeah, I remember those days where it's like two days of trying to hustle up money and then getting beat. And like, <laughs> bro, like, you know, I, like I was addicted to crack, but I was also like an opiate addict. Mm-hmm. And like being physically dependent on opiates and doing like X, Y, and Z to get the money and getting this person to drive you and telling this lie or whatever and stealing this item and then selling it. And then to like make it all the way to the dope dealer and then for someone to sell you some fake shit or to rob you. Mm-hmm. And then to walk home, it's like, yeah, that's that's like a sh- that feeling of like total total worthlessness and yeah, like despair. Yeah, because when you're using like if something happens, like you're like, all right, well, if this person doesn't answer, I'm gonna call this person. Mm-hmm. If this person doesn't buy this, I'm gonna just sell this. If this doesn't have whatever, like you do that so many times that you like lose the belief that you can even hustle up more money. And then, like, you just don't have the will anymore to even try. Yeah. And you just, like, it breaks your whole spirit where you're just, like, want to die. Yeah. Those are, for me, it's, like, the two facets of, like, hopelessness, right? Mm -hmm. It's, like, the fact that, like, I'm never going to get it right or, like, trying to hold my breath long enough to not get high or it's, Mm. like, I'm going to get high. Let's just see how long I can't, right? You know, the other part is, like, when the world around me starts to kind of like close in and give up too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like not having anything in myself to believe in. And it's like, I'm totally beat. Mm -hmm. Even for you, when you know that other people have gotten clean, it doesn't affect you because you just think like that's them, Mm -hmm. you know? So like for me, I had never even met anybody to get clean. Having hope of change or like when you don't even have one example, Mm -hmm. it's like, dude, it's impossible. Yeah. Like, you feel like, I started to feel like, like I fucked up my life. I thought this shit was the game. I thought that I could like, I thought I'd be the only person to smoke crack and not get addicted. Mm-hmm. And here I am, full-fledged addicted. And even if I got clean, it would be like holding my breath. Just like you said, like, mm-hmm. even if I could stay clean, it would only be like minuscule. Yeah. And it would be like, yeah, what's the point? That hopeless place, man. And like, you know, coming to a place of surrender, right? And that's the thing. That's what's so important about carrying a message. I was in a hopeless place. And if the right thing was said in that moment, you know, I may or may not have. But I was not, like, I was hopeless, but I was not willing to surrender. Yeah, and for me, it's like, with cocaine and crack, it's like, I can go days or even weeks and be like, I can't even believe I did that shit. It's gross. I don't even want to do that shit. And then there's, like, that one little window of opportunity where, like, if you have money... And that feeling, that thought comes over you of like, just get one. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not, it's more than a thought. It like covers your whole body where you almost feel like you got high. Mm-hmm. Like you, like for me, like if I thought about it and I was alone and I was driving and I was near a street that I knew I could cop, it would be as if like I just did a hit and I need another one. Like I was already high mm-hmm. just from the feeling. And then when I make the decision to go get it, my physical body feels different, you know? You start farting and shit. You start farting and <laughs> shitting, you know, you want to throw up. Yeah. And it's like, that's how addictive cocaine crack is. Yeah. People don't understand that, like, no. it's not like <clears throat> I'm trying to stop eating sugar here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which most people on the planet Earth can't do. But, like, yeah. we're talking about, like, the most addictive substance known to man. Like, we're talking about when they give this shit to animals, they choose this over food. Yeah. And sometimes people don't understand how hard it is to get off these hardcore drugs. Yeah. Most shocking and amazing part is that so many of us do. 
And we're doing it every single day because, like, yeah, there's an opiate epidemic and people are dying from fentanyl and people are always going to get addicted to crack or whatever. But there's so many people staying clean mm-hmm. that I think that that's, like, the message and, like, the point of the podcast is because, yeah. like, dude, I lived my whole life until I got clean. I'd never even met someone to get clean. Right. And if I did, it was just a polished product. Yeah. I just saw, like, one guy on TV say, I used to be a drug addict. No, I'm not. Like, I didn't. There was no process. Right. I didn't understand how to do it. Yeah. That obsession piece, man, that's that's just diabolical, dog. <laughs> like I, I swear, I swear, like crack is like the only drug that I feel like is evil. Like there's something evil it about it. It's like something dark about it. You feel disgusting. <laughs> it's diabolical because the, the the mental the mental aspect behind it. The right? psychosis. Yeah. It's it's like this. And people think coke and crack are so different. I've done so much coke. Mm-hmm. Where I would literally be in psychosis, mm-hmm. seeing things that's not there, not eating. Like, bro, I, I, would, I talk about it all the time. Like, I would hear a lighter across the street and I'd fucking fall out of my bed. You know, like being yeah. that geeked out. Yeah, I've had those experiences as well. I've done a lot of that, you know, running out of hotels in my underwear and all that. <laughs> and, and that's why I say this shit's diabolical, dog, because when obsession meets opportunity, it changes your clean date every mm-hmm. single time. And that's always what happens. And for me being stuck in that cycle, I've never, ever seen anybody on the face of this earth go into an obsession and come out successfully, right? I've only seen people fall short to the obsession, you know, come into the grips of the obsession, right? Mm -hmm. And when I come out of it, I have this window, right, to where, like, there's a little bit of willingness. Like, if if there's something said, uh, what do they call this? A moment of clarity, Mm-hmm. Right, I have this moment of clarity because of all the pain I've just experienced coming down from going up. But I don't really picture any of that going up. Mm-hmm. Like that's never, you know, pleasure principle. You know what I mean? What is this going to do for me instead of what it's going to do to me? Like that's how I filter, you know, that. Once the obsession develops from a thought, you know, it takes over everything else. And I'm just kind of like, I'm stuck. I'm pretty powerless over that, right? Mm-hmm. And And that's where... The 12-step experience is so prevalent because, like, I, I've been in churches, you know, I've been in masjids, man. You know, I've been to a Buddhist temple, you know, down there on Samson Street with people. You know what I mean? I've talked to many, many, some real powerful people, man, about, like, my condition. And, and, and I haven't seen anything work until I fully indulged myself into the 12-step process, having mm-hmm. like those two surrenders, surrendering to the disease, then surrendering to the process, right? And then mm-hmm. when, when that happens, man, something, you know, something happens between me and the universe to where like there's a bit of hope, right? And, and I get that from other people, mm-hmm. but there's also, Dave Chappelle said, man, like when the stakes are everything, you tell yourself whatever you need to hear to survive. Mm-hmm. And that's how... Coming to Florida from Philly, that's how it was for me because I love my city. I love my city. You know what I mean? It's like I didn't really want to stay here. Mm-hmm. So it was like when I got here, for me, it was about survival because I knew there was only two roads for me, mm-hmm. right? There was like a, a road where I can meet recovering people. I have a blank slate. I don't know anybody here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you meet the gurus and the judgmental mm-hmm. people. Oh, geographic, you take yourself wherever you are. Yeah. Like, I know that, nigga. Like, I don't need to hear that from you. Yeah. But it's like, uh, like I always tell people that, like, yeah, ge- geographical change on its own is not going to change anything. But it does give you a fighting chance. It's like, dude, if I'm trying to be on a diet, I probably don't want to live next to McDonald's. <laughs> At all. And, like, could you be on a diet and live next to McDonald's? Yeah. But if you've been eating McDonald's for 30 years... Wouldn't it be a little easier if you could live further away from McDonald's? Yeah, there's other junk food you can eat, but it's like that geographical change is an embodiment of like the burning the boats. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I truly believe that if you want to get clean, you have to do things over and over and over. That's like a, a burning the boats type of thing where it's like, uh, you know, the burning the boats story? You know I'm talking I don't. About? I'll try to say this story properly. There's like this treasure that this, you know, a group of people back in like the 1900 or 1800, I don't know when, but they had this treasure for years mm-hmm. and no one could take it. People would try over and over to conquer them and take the treasure and nobody could do it. And let's say it's like hundreds of million dollars in treasure. And there's this one guy 
and he starts to build an army and he's like, look, we're going to go and take the treasure. And everyone's all gassed up about the treasure. They start, you know, they, they sail over there to take the treasure. Halfway there, they start talking like, well, how long have they had the treasure for? Like, oh, they've had the treasure for like 500 years. So like, so in 500 years, we're supposed to be the ones who take them. And then they start talking amongst each other about how all these other armies that were bigger than they were couldn't take the treasure. So when they land, everyone's like, I don't think we should do this. I don't think we're going to be able to take the treasure. Like, what if we die? All these other people died. I don't think anybody could take the treasure. And the general was like, burn the boats. And they were like, what? And then he's like, yeah, burn the boats. And they burned the boats. So that way they couldn't retreat. Hmm. This is like the mentality of like, there's no option B. Mm-hmm. We're either taking the treasure or we all die here today. Right, right, right. And they took the treasure. That's heavy. And it's like, it wasn't about having more manpower. It wasn't about having better trained soldiers. It was about canceling plan B. It was about having your back against the wall mm-hmm. and bringing out that like animalistic, this needs to happen mentality. And I think that that's what you need to do to stay clean. Because yeah. when people have that back door, addicts are slippery, bro. Yeah. We used to call that the shelf. Mm-hmm. We used to call that the shelf. It's like, yo, put that on the shelf. And yeah. if this don't work, you could go back to it. I put everything I had into recovery. And trust me, it hadn't been a perfect like walk. I get in trouble. You know, mm-hmm. I make bad decisions. I do things all the time. But one thing I haven't done in almost seven years is used mm-hmm. since I've been here. And there's been some events. You know, I had a brother who got murdered. Countless heartbreaks, like, mm-hmm. you know, dating and recovery is like fishing in a pool of sharks, <laughs> man. You know what I mean? There's been some things. You know, my grandmother passed. Most people ask me, like, how did you not use over that? Mm-hmm. Right? But when I got here, you know what I mean? When I got here, like I said, the geographics for me, it was like simple math. If I could mm-hmm. not live in the city where I wanted to be at, then I was going to put 100% mm-hmm. into what I'm doing now. You know, and then I started to fall in love with the process. Yeah, and it's like when you move away, every single second, you're aware that I moved away to get clean. Mm -hmm. So when you're walking down the street, you know you're here because you need to get clean. Right. There's no illusion of like why I'm here. It's like, bro, I'm only in Florida to get clean. So when (laughs) I'm at a job interview and people are asking me why I'm here, I might not say I'm here to get clean, but I'm bringing it up constantly. Yeah. So it's like I tell people all the time, it's like if you want to change your life, and you've been fucking it up for years, mm-hmm. little turns aren't going to do it. You got to do something fucking drastic, and you got to do what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people, like, when they have options, like, you got to think about what's the hardest one, and you got to start doing the hardest one. And a lot of times that difficult option is moving. Yeah. Who the f- Nobody wants to move. And I'm not saying that if you move away from your hometown, you're going to stay clean. But I'm going to say that it's like, a re- it's part of a good recipe. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, you you got to stock up on all the other shit. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, it's part of a good recipe for someone to stay clean. Yeah. And to stay clean, it takes like a multitude of things consistently over time. Yeah, it does. I think most people in recovery, you know, they learn in reverse, right? Mm-hmm. Like we we have events happen, we make decisions, things happen, and then we learn, you know, whatever, because the scenario is going to play again, right? I think coming here for me, like God had his hands all over it, mm-hmm. you know, the way the way I saw it, you know, after I had like a year and I just like processed everything. The first time I knew I was free from the obsession to use, right, is when my brother got killed and I was like on Kensington and, and Westmoreland at a breakfast spot, you know, and his kid, Keith. Kensington? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's called J&J. They have good fishing grits, right? And um, so I go there with my man and He's like, I'm going to pick you up, you know, whatever. So he picked me up. We eat breakfast. We come out, you know what I mean? And we on, I'm on Facebook being smart. Like, nigga, I take pictures in the trap. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's how free I am. It, it was really just like an arrogant, like, yeah, yeah. new guy type of thing. And, um, yeah, it's a total yeah, like yeah. less than 90 days clean thing. Yeah. So this kid, you know, this kid, Keith, he's called me from across the street. Like, yo, what's up with you, fam? Like, you know what I mean? And I'm like, I'm chilling. Like, all right, boy. Or whatever, but the nigga kept like, yo, like, what's up with you? So I'm like asking my man, like, what's up with your man? Like, what's up with the boy? He's like, oh no, he probably out here on the shift. What I realized at that time when he said that is that that was the last nigga I had bought cocaine from hmm. before I got off, before I got on the plane to come here. 
you know, the very last thing I bought cocaine from. Mm-hmm. And that's why he kept asking me that. But, you know, in that world, you know, six months is like a week. You know yeah. what I mean? You don't know it. So he didn't even know I had been gone that long. Mm-hmm. But I did. But I had done so much work, you know, in steps and in meetings and, like, everything I was doing and discovering that there was a transition. There was a transformation that happened mentally, mm-hmm. right? The thing was, a lot of people, and you'll see them down here, and they'll be like, oh, Kensington Kensington is scarier than a fourth step yeah. for some of these niggas. And I'm uh-huh. like, like, bro, I've never been scared to walk through that. I've seen plenty of people get clean there. But also, when I was on that corner, it didn't even dawn on me mm-hmm. that the area was a drug-infested area. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized I was free. I realized I was free when I was able just to walk down that street. Yeah, I think uh, for me, it was when people stopped asking me for drugs. Mm-hmm. Because it's like my energy had changed. Mm-hmm. So there was a time. I remember I had like months clean. This girl hit me up. Hey, da da da. Can you get me some white? I was like, Nah, I'm in recovery now. I don't do that stuff anymore. Okay, but I know you can get it for me. Like people just have zero respect. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I was just like, Like, bro, I just told you I'm in recovery, and you're just gonna. And then like a part of me was like, Should I go get it? Because. That's where I got my self-worth from, mm-hmm. was being the guy who could get people drugs. It was why people liked me. It's why people hit me up. It's right. why I felt a part of. So, like, I, I used to get drugs for, I, didn't, I wouldn't really call it, like, selling drugs. But in recovery, I used to still get people drugs because mm-hmm. I didn't have anything else to do. I was bored. Right. And right, I still right. liked being in that area. And it, it was a rush to be clean and be, like, like hitting that wall of, like, this isn't. This is almost using, you know? Mm-hmm. And I used to get a rush from that. There was a time where I, I wised up and realized that, you know, I am going to the barbershop constantly. I am going to get a haircut. And I stopped doing those things. And there became a time where, like, after a year, maybe a year and a half clean, where I could go to a hood or area or be around people who do drugs. And I no longer looked or seemed or acted like someone who was going to get by drugs. Right. Like, people would be selling drugs, and they weren't like, yo, you straight? That that wasn't happened to me anymore. Right. And, and I was, like, smart enough not to make the eye contact. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I was moving different. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, that's when I started to realize that people were even looking at me and saying things that I could never even imagine you on drugs. You know, a year ago, people were like, I can't even imagine this dude getting clean, mm-hmm. you know? And that, you know, when that happens, it changes how you feel about yourself. Because as a drug addict, when people, people might not say, I can't imagine you getting clean, Mm -hmm. but they make you feel that way with their, with their energy. Like you could just sense that somebody's looking at you like, nah, it's never, nothing ever going to be good in your life. You know, for me, I started to embrace it. Like, yeah, bro, I probably ain't never going to get clean. I mean, I felt that way before that hopeless, like. I'm just going to be whatever. You know, I'm not good at quitting. And that's like kind of like the motto of my area. Like, we don't quit good. Mm-hmm. And that's why it took me so long to, to, to get clean. But once I got clean, I'm not good at quitting. Welcome to the Genesis House powered by the United Recovery Project. Located in sunny South Florida, we offer drug and alcohol addiction treatment, as well as a major focus on dual diagnosis. Our addiction therapy programs include behavioral therapy, 12-step facilitation, psychotherapy, life skills training, and more. At our facility, you can expect a low client-to-staff ratio, daily group therapy, weekly one-on-one therapy sessions, and luxury amenities such as volleyball, basketball, pool, chiropractor, personal trainer, yoga, massage therapy, and more. Contact the United Recovery Project today and let's create a better tomorrow. I was telling someone today, it's like um, when you're an addict, like we have so much energy mm-hmm. that we're just using it the wrong way. You know, mm-hmm. we have so many skills and there's so much that goes into being a drug addict. Like it is. it's not not for nothing, but it's like, bro, if you're a drug addict, like, you can act, you can sell, you can fucking market, you can, you know, product, you know, yeah. you know, connections, you know, yeah. you know, relationships. Like, like being a drug addict in itself forces you to learn these skills that a lot of times the skills are are wasted 
because we're using them in such a self-destructive way. Yeah. But when we get clean, we learn to apply them in like a constructive way. And a lot of us accomplish so much in six months, you know? Yeah. Our biggest problem is that we accomplish so much in such a short period of time, but we get addicted to tearing it all down again. Right. And then building it back up and tearing it down and building it back up. That we need to break that cycle. And what breaks that cycle is self-worth. Mm -hmm. because for me, whenever I would build my life up and would kind of get good, I wouldn't have the self-worth to sustain it. Mm -hmm. I would feel not worthy of having this, and then I would not have the belief that I, it could last anyways, and I would destruct it on my own. Yeah, For me, there was an understanding that I came into when I first got clean, and if I'm convinced that I have the disease of addiction, right, mm -hmm. and, and I am fully convinced, and I was convinced when I got here, it was like there was two ways out of this thing, right? a chemical program or a spiritual program. Mm -hmm. If I live my life in that spiritual program, right, it's that process that, like, that first and foremost is, like, everything in my life. Like, nothing, everybody who I came in contact with, direct contact with, was affected by my disease. Mm -hmm. You know, in this process that I'm in, everybody who I come in contact with is affected, you know, by my recovery and that's just how I want it. You know what I mean? And like for me, it, it it was like real simple. It's like, bro, you die using chemical program. And we all know what that looks like. You know, mm -hmm. steal, borrow, rob, cheat, you know, whatever your story is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Cop, go up, come mm -hmm. down, emotional roller coaster, yeah. you know what I mean? Sleep it off or like do it again. Driven by the idea that it's gonna be different every single time, right? I give in and I do something different. I get with like somebody who has an understanding of why they're here, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And what they're doing and, and we get down and we do some things and, and something starts to happen, something starts to rearrange within me. I could never, like that is the seed and that is the root from which my life is branched out from. Mm -hmm. You know, everything I'm able to do now is like own a business, be a grandpa, be a dad, you know, be a friend. All those things are, are like due to like the foundation that I laid. So mm -hmm. for me, it's like without a spiritual program, none of these other like branches that, yeah. you know, I'm I'm developing mm -hmm. are, are possible. And anytime I stop doing mm -hmm. that, right, you know, those branches start to kind of like give way. Now I can always get back to the basics, but for me, it was like real simple. Chemical program, spiritual program, you have it your way. You know, my life is good today because of that. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? I have my trials and tribulations, and I get into shit just like anybody else that comes yeah. through this way of life. You yeah, like my um, my birthday just passed, and like I never celebrate Happy my birthday. birthday. Hey, thank you, bro. I never like celebrate my birthday. Like I really don't care about my birthday because it's like was like my real birthday to me. And like I do so much for my clean day, and they're kind of close. Like my birthday's in November, my clean day's in March. I don't want to deal with like a whole bunch of happy birthday texts and then a whole bunch of like congratulations on, mm -hmm. you know, 15 years text. So it's like, for me, my birthday is like cool, but I'm only able to have birthdays because I got clean. Yeah. So like birthdays weren't going to keep happening for me. Like I'm pretty sure like my life was over. Yeah. Not to mention when I was using it, I don't even remember my birthdays. Like mm -hmm. I always got arrested around my birthday. I was always on drugs. I was always like in trouble or like something was always going on in my life that like I, I never, I can't even tell you last time I had someone come over and say happy birthday to me when I was yeah. using. My clean date means so much to me that I almost forget my birthday because it's like, I don't know, like to me, my birthday means nothing to me. I wasn't involved. I didn't do anything. And like, I understand that people like want to celebrate like birthdays, but to me, like getting clean is the foundation of my whole life. Mm -hmm. It's the reason why I have a house. It's the reason why I have a job. It's the reason why I'm employable. It's the reason why I can have a bank account. Like mm -hmm. I didn't have any aspirations or dreams to do anything with my life until I got clean. Yeah. So it's like, to me, like I'm aware of that and I'm aware that it's not just being clean. It's in the process. Like I have a sponsor and I work the 12 steps. Yeah. And like, that's my goal is to try to get people to get excited about working the 12 steps because sometimes my biggest issue is like I could get people to go to meetings because I make it entertaining. I'm like, bro, you got to come to this meeting. Yeah. I could get someone to go to a meeting. I'll get people to buy into how cool it is to be clean. Right. It's like, cause it is cool. 
people that are using, they don't, once they get clean, they start to see how much it benefits their lives. Right. But to get them to sit their ass down at a Starbucks and write on steps mm -hmm. is the hardest thing for me to get them to do because it's yeah. so hard for me to show them what the steps do. Right. You know? Yeah, nah, I get that, man. Like, my birthday just passed, too, in November. Um, It was actually oh, Sunday. Cool. You're a Scorpio? I am, man. Damn, that's why we got them woman problems, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. So I just turned 44. And, um, oh, wow. Happy birthday. You know, thank you, man. That's what's up. And I'm a grandpa now. Like, I'm playing with house money. You know, I got shot 20 years mm -hmm. ago. I pope been dead then. You know, my daddy died five years before that. You know, he was like 33. You know what I mean? I'm playing with house money. I outlive my dad. I'm great. I outlive my grandpa. You know what I mean? And it's like, for me, that, like, I'm like, damn, I want to be celebrated. But mm -hmm. there was no better way for me to celebrate that than to go to work because it's like, I have been given a life, man. I've been given a beautiful life and it's so grateful. And like, yo, my life is good, man. Like, yeah. And like, there's like this gratitude that we have as addicts that, like, it's so deep. It's like, like when people see my life now, they're like, oh man, your life is like so amazing. What do you ever, you have all this shit. But like, I truly feel like, bro, I got everything I ever wanted mm -hmm. 13 years ago. Right. Like when I had a year clean, two years clean, I got more than I ever dreamed of at two years. Mm -hmm. Like I got everything I ever wanted, ever needed at two years clean. I couldn't believe it, bro. I was 19. Mm -hmm. I was 19 with two years clean. I used to fucking smoke crack. Like I was the <laughs> happiest person ever. Right, 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 right. You know, and sometimes I see people in recovery miserable and they think that if they got the job, then they would be happy. They think that if they got the car that they would be, and like, they're just like, you ever meet people and they're just like going through life, like all rigid and weird. And you're mm -hmm. just like, I don't know how else to explain it, but, like, you got to enjoy it. Yeah. Like, whatever it is, you got to learn to enjoy it. Yeah. You know, people come to me and they ask me, you know, how am I doing? And, <laughs> and like, I'm known for saying this is funny. And I'll be like, yo, my life's so good today I could buy cheese fries. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like, bro. They laugh. And people, and I say that all the time. If I'm speaking anywhere, and I'll be like, yo, my life's so good today I could buy cheese fries. It's, and it's it, true. Yeah, because <laughs> cheese fries is like some ex extra <laughs> shit. But I was telling someone the other day, I used to eat ketchup, ketchup sandwiches. Right. I remember being like so junked out and like I was hungry, but not really. And I'd be in the kitchen eating like a ketchup sandwich, you know, uh, being clean. You just like get excited for like basic things, yeah. you know? You know, about two years ago, I started a business. I've been doing fairly well. How did that start? Because you don't look like somebody who uh, is, like cleans houses. That's the country dodo. That's mm -hmm. like, they, they don't expect that. Yeah. That, you know, I get into that with a lot of women. They kind of like, oh, employ some women. And they're just mm -hmm. kind of like thinking they know. And then I'll come do the job with them. And they'll be like, oh, Yeah, shit. because normally like me, man, I'll leave dust everywhere. <laughs> I'm fucking nah, dirty. I'm pretty good at it. But it started just through being like down and out on myself about a situation that happened. And I was just like getting jobs and I was like leaving. Like, I don't want to be at work. I want to mm -hmm. go home and eat Popeye's and lay in my bed. And, yeah. You know, yeah, I had one of my boys ask me to clean his house. And it was like the next day, this, I told this lady about it and she was a realtor. Mm -hmm. And the next day she was like, well, I have like, I broke my leg. So can you come clean, you know, my properties for me? Because I'm going to, oh, what's the word? Renovate? Yeah. She, oh, okay. She right. renovate so them. she had moved everybody out and she wanted them, you know, mm -hmm. cleaned and then renovated and then come clean up behind the construction. Mm -hmm. She said, I'll do that for you. You know what I mean? You're not working. I'm like, all right, whatever. It's like, man, I'm going to start a business. Like I should do this. And I was like doing Uber Eats at the time. Mm -hmm. Uber Eats was good for me because like I started to like not want to work for people anymore. And it wasn't because I'm a bad employee. It's because like I just didn't have any direction, man. My heart was so broken. Mm -hmm. Like I was in a really bad space. I didn't know which way was up. But, mm -hmm. you know, bills got to be paid. Like FPNL not trying to hear you depressed, dog. <laughs> like I'm depressed. I'll get you next month. They're like, no, sitting is dark. You know what I mean? And that's what you do. So I was doing the Uber Eats, and what I would do is I would take my business card and staple it to every meal. Oh, that's dope. People would bite. You know what I mean? It's like, For the house cleaning. Yeah. People would bite. You know, recovery that's people fire. show up. You know, the interesting thing about recovery people, right, uh -huh. is that they come here to get a life, and some of them actually have college backgrounds. Mm -hmm. 
you know, good financial backgrounds. They understand money and they get lives and they start businesses. Mm-hmm. And, right? and we really look out for each other. Like as much as like people talk shit about the fellowship, we help each other so much. It's crazy. Yeah. So you mainly do offices or you do bi- or houses? I do both. Okay. I do post construction. I do houses. I do offices. I, I have like two maybe like whole business buildings mm-hmm. that I do and wax their floors and, you know, shit like that, strip mm-hmm. and wax the floors. And my boy Jesse, he was just kind of like starting his pressure washing business at the time. And he's like, man, you should fucking do it, man. I'm not working for nobody no more. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a fearful thought, bro. You know what I mean? And, and like, yo, God's been good to me, man. Like, God's been good to me. And, and I went out and I just started doing it. And yeah, I was like making a certain amount of money per month. And like, I met this girl, her name's Trisha. And she was like, hey, man, you X, Y, and Z a little bit with marketing. And she gave me something that she could charge somebody easily a thousand, two thousand dollars mm-hmm. for and expert information. And she gave it to me for free. And, and my income jumped from there. And, and like, that was the conversation I had with my sponsor today because, you know, here, man, I had, I got a case of shoes, which is like, it's like 90 shoes in there, right? Mm-hmm. And I like Jordans and Air Maxes and stuff like that. And, you know, I was just kind of like, what's all this for? I definitely like hit a space, you know, over the past maybe month or two mm-hmm. where like, you know, what what was really important you know what I mean? Is it is it really important? And I'm looking at people, man, and, and like, what do I want to leave an example for the people I'm responsible for mm-hmm. and the people that I will be allowed to be in their life where God's going to see fit for me to carry a message to them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, where's my mindset at? Is my mindset on make $2,000 to spend 1000 on a gold chain? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's like low fruit mentality, I'm going to keep it real, bro. It's like, bro, if I can afford it and it's not going to fuck up my life. And a lot of things that I buy, I try to think like, are they going to hold their value? My shoes, probably not, bro. Right. You know, like that was fucking dumb. Right. I probably got crazy with shoes yeah. for a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's okay, bro. It's totally fine. I did. It's okay, bro. Yeah. Some people get fat. Some people, whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like we need to tap into like, we're human, bro. Like. Make the mistakes to get to the lesson. Yeah. When you don't have something, the allure of not having it is really more sexy and fulfilling than getting it. Right. Sometimes wanting something, just like getting high, bro, crack don't even feel good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's before. Yeah. So it's like the same it's, thing it's with shoes and cars or whatever. Yeah. It's like the allure of like, maybe one day I could get it. You got to go through that process. I hit that point mm-hmm. where it's like I'm 44. What does OG Jordan 1 high do for me yeah. in my life right now? You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, I got them because they had, I hadn't had them since 1986. And like, you know what I mean? So I, I'm like sitting around seeing all this stuff and I'm like 44, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it was like my birthday coming and just like, it was like a little, you know, my sponsor said it was just kind of like, you know, maybe some growth, mm-hmm. you know, that just like happens. But I definitely feel like what you said was important that like you you have to go into there in order to like understand that it's like what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't be able to say what you were saying like people i remember uh like my friend started making money and this dude was like ridiculous on on instagram whatever someone was like come on bro act like you've been there before and he was like i haven't (laughs) i haven't been here before this shit is fucking crazy to me yeah i think the biggest thing about people in recovery is that we have the ability to take a look at ourselves and do inventories constantly mm-hmm. and then do like a self-appraisal and then be able to talk about like our defects and then talk about like what asset we're going to practice and then do like our amends. And like we we stay in a process of like constantly refining our character mm-hmm. where I think a lot of people are just like, this is just me. I'm, yeah. I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just whatever, yeah. you know, no, that's which is like how awesome like I grew part. up with, you know, yeah. I grew up with like family members and people like. Like, bro, I never met, like, my dad trying to be like, I'm going to change this about myself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work on my anger. Like, you just never heard anybody talk about yeah. stuff like that. I have moments where I feel this need to buy something. I don't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. You ever just want to buy something? You just want to spend money? Like, you just don't know what it is. All the time. And it's like, when I was using I would have feelings of, like, I just want to do something. Yeah. I don't even know what it is. Yeah. I just have that feeling of, like, how I got to do something. Yeah. And for me... I try to just monitor, like, 
Am I trying to escape a feeling? Why can't I just be comfortable? Maybe I should do something constructive like pray or read or whatever mm-hmm. or put on an audiobook and let it pass. And a lot of times it's not really something I need to do. It's just something that is a distraction from the present moment. Right. And I don't want to always be chasing that, but it's going to happen. Everybody yeah. on the planet does that. I, f- I feel like when you don't address it, it causes pain, right? Mm-hmm. And like for me, like that's where like the serenity prayer comes, you know, it, it becomes prevalent in my life. And the serenity prayer in itself is like probably one of the most overlooked mm-hmm. tools we have. Yeah. Because it's very effective, right? What Moreover, like the second part of it, right? Um, living one moment at a time, mm-hmm. you know, accepting my hardships as a pathway to peace. Mm-hmm. So it's like 10 and 11, you know what I mean? Like that's exactly what it talks about. I'm going to live one day at a time, you know, but I'm going to have like, you know, in order to be refined, right? Mm-hmm. For me, most times I, I'm not going to the doctor unless I have symptoms. Mm-hmm. So when I experience pain and my spirit is being pulled this way, that way, and I feel like in a disarray and I feel disconnected, if I'm not in like an active like mode of like constantly like using the tools, um, that is usually what motivates me to get back into it, right? And and, and a period of refining, the process of refining mm-hmm. starts, right? And I get to a different level of understanding. And I think that like, you know, starting a business and you probably can relate is just like, you know, it's a very cerebral thing mentally. I would imagine it's like having a kid. <laughs> it's just like, and like having a business is just like that. It's like you almost can never relax ever again. You know, you it's like, it's like for the rest of your life, as long as this business is still here, it's like you have this responsibility over people's paychecks, compliance, lawsuits, payroll, like, you know, the, the bank account, the overhead, the ta- paying taxes, like, buying new products or inventory or whatever and it's like when you leave work it doesn't leave you no and that's the difference between being an employee and being like an employer yeah it's it's pretty heavy stuff and um your life gets pretty full from that right and the process just gets really important you know the tools become really important because for this simple fact like the bigger your life gets the bigger your program has Mm -hmm. to get Right. I have to start doubling down my efforts. I have goals, you know, and I have like I want to like love myself. Right. And it's like most people will be like they love themselves because they've been clean for a certain. Mm-hmm. I haven't used drugs for seven years, so I love myself. But, yeah, I'm smoking cigarettes. I'm watching porn. You know, what I mean, I'm eating fucking Popeyes every mm-hmm. night. So do I really love myself? Because that stuff says I don't even like myself because mm-hmm. I'm like taking that in, right? So these are the important things. These are little mosquitoes outside of the big alligators that we're looking for to be bit by. Mm-hmm. The little mosquitoes are tearing me up all the while. And like that's what's kind of like happening for me. And like this growth part is kind of like going into like, you know, creating my own narrative as far as like a business is concerned or career change. And it's like, I have to be on my game, like mentally, spiritually, in order to carry some type of integrity, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's been very eventful over the past two years, like learning so much, you know? I just lost an account, you know, Mm. with one of my good friends, like a month ago, he's like, bro, you're not doing an effective job. And I looked at like my part, in that right not my part in it i just looked at like what was i actually doing what did that actually look like right Mm -hmm. and i took those and i carried them now into the next where it's like you know money's gonna come i'll be good with that because like my life has been like i've been able to be useful Mm -hmm. you know And, and like that's the bigger picture for me but still you know and like learning business and carrying some type of integrity and like perseverance through like all this stuff and having fear of losing accounts when you lose an account it's like well where's the next dollar gonna come from right and then your phone rings and it's like god it's good right so it's like you know having some faith and having that faith develop in the trust and the more that my faith is developed in the trust the less that like i fear moments of question Mm -hmm. you know moments of uncertainty and i'm able to get through them you know, I, I I get in a gratitude list sometimes and all these little things that people do, but I'm more focused 
And what I get from the steps mm-hmm. is more focused on where God is not. Where am I not allowing God, this universal spirit, you know, not the religious God that we go to like a uh, uh, temple or church or a masjid. I'm talking about that thing that's at the core of my essence that like brought me here. Mm-hmm. Hey, I need help. That thing, you know what I mean? That thing that I follow that keeps me going to a meeting, you know, every day or whenever I mm-hmm. get there and stuff like that. And like, that's what happens when you, you know, you stay clean and it's not about not using no more. It's about the next time I will, mm-hmm. if I don't address these little mosquitoes. That yeah. I and I always try to like explain people. It's like, um, people always ask me like, oh, you feel like you're going to use or whatever. And I'm always like, well. <clears throat> I'm in protective custody right now. Like, I do X, Y, and Z to ensure that, like, I'm not going to use. I have no fear of using. I don't think I'm going to use. But at the same time, I don't take things lightly. If I have surgery, I communicate with people. If I go through, like, a breakup or whatever, I'm communicating and transparent. I'm not letting money and property prestige divert me Mm -hmm. from my my process. So as long as I'm still in the process of, of recovery, I'm in no danger of using. Now... I do have years clean. So, like, you have to build that foundation slowly, brick by brick in the beginning for you to get to a point where you can, like, live that way. But for a lot of people, that's, like, one of their biggest questions. Like, do you think you're going to relapse? I'm like, no, I don't think I'm going to relapse. Does that mean I'm going to hang out with a bunch of people doing drugs? No. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is, like, you know, like, people say, like, if you want to get fucked, you have to get in position. I'm not putting myself in fucked up positions. Right. Okay, I haven't been clean long enough to to do that. Like I'm not, you know, gonna ever get to that point. But man, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Hell does have an exit. I appreciate you, bro. Oh man, thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. This has been awesome. Have a good night, bro. Yes, sir. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.